Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 114. Today's episode is all about the link between anxiety and depression and how to move out of it. Depression and anxiety travel together in about 35, 40% of the people. It's about one in three, and they interact in a really toxic way. And that's one of the other things that we always talk about that because it's something to really be mindful of so that when, if you have a mood that stays down for weeks at a time, most every day, and you're also worrying and anxious, if you think about depression as really crushing and slowing the body and worry and anxiety are like a mind that's actually spinning faster. So what you end up with is a really sad, hopeless, depressed feeling that you think about 15 times an hour because your mind is just spinning. Does that make sense? Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. You want to hear a crazy statistic? It is estimated that 7% of adults has had at least one major depressive episode in a given year. That's over 16 million people. I read this quote by Jim Carrey recently that really hit home for me. And by the way, if you had told me like 10 years ago that Jim Carrey would be kind of like my guru, especially as he was sliding out of that elephant's anus and pet detective, I would have called you nuts. (laughs) But he's actually got a lot of wisdom, probably because he's gone through the ringer of his own mental trauma over the years. Anyways, he said, depression is your body's way of saying, I don't want to be this character anymore. I don't want to hold up this avatar that you've created in the world. It's just too much for me. Let that sink in. Depression is your body saying, I don't want to be this character anymore. Looking back, when I was my most depressed, I was also the most lost that I had ever been. I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know my place in the world. I needed validation from everyone else just to figure out where I fit in and to feel okay with myself. For a lot of people, depression is ignited by a traumatic event. For me, it was sexual assault, losing a friend to suicide, losing my dad. But in hindsight, I wasn't just experiencing sadness because of those things. Those events actually changed the way I viewed the world. Mortality, my sense of safety and security, both in my body and in my life. Deep loss, guilt. The self-image that I had up until those traumas shattered, and it took me a really long time to put back the pieces. And get this, depression is most common in people between the ages of 18 to 25, which, if you think about it, is about that prime time of finding yourself and having no freaking idea where to start. 
And this next statistic was even more unexpected to me at first, but it actually kind of makes sense. Depression is also the most common in people belonging to two or more races. Why would that be? Just speculating, but maybe it's because they don't really know where they fit in. I have a friend who is half black and half white who once told me that she feels a little bit like an outsider with both races. Of course, this is just my theory, but it does seem to make sense that a big part of depression has to do with identity. I was clinically diagnosed with depression, medicated and all, from age 19 to 25, right in that window to fully verify statistics. Now, I find myself underestimating how hard that time was for me. But in preparing for this episode, I made a point to really sit with my memories. I actually got emotional just thinking about it. I remember this sense of hopelessness, like life had no point. Thoughts like, what is this all even for? And using whatever means necessary to escape my thoughts, or really to escape my entire day. I was getting blackout drunk most nights for years, and only part of that was college's fault. Now I'm very in tune with my happiness, and a big part of that for me has been finding meaning and purpose. But it's hard to find meaning when you don't even want to get out of bed to find it, or when you don't believe it can be found. It's like your whole body and mind are constantly fatigued. I haven't done an episode solely on depression, maybe because I don't love looking back at that time in my life. Or maybe I don't love looking back at it because I was blacked out most of the time. But anyways, I figured it was time. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Gilliland, an expert in mental health, depression, and addiction. He's worked more than two decades in healthcare as a clinical psychologist, and he's a pioneer of outpatient treatment as the CEO and executive director of Innovation 360, which is a treatment center for alcohol and drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and bipolar. Today, three key things we will learn are why depression and anxiety are often linked, how to start moving out of depression, and how to help loved ones who are depressed. You want to know a great way to start each day with a little more light and positivity? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of power lists to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Dr. Kevin Gilliland to the show. Yeah. Hey, it's so good to be here with you. Love the work you're doing and so looking forward to having a good visit. So you created a life around helping improving people's mental health. So why is mental health so important to you? Oh, gosh, boy. Okay. Like that's one of my favorite ways to ask that question. Seriously. I guess I didn't realize how much I'm just fascinated by when we study humans. And our mental health has such a significant impact in our performance. And most of us get really focused in the direction of work or life. And we're wanting to be successful or be a better version of ourselves or grow in my career. And the more you start to look and listen to people that have been really successful, 
and I don't mean successful. I mean, have either struggled against all odds or have really achieved at what we would all look at and go, wow, that's really impressive. It's such a relative term, but all of those men and women have been one of the pieces of them being successful is just sort of this awareness of their psychological health. And so I guess that for me, that's boy, that's a long answer, but whether it's sports or music, which I love all of those, or authors or leaders, there's always a psychological component that they talk about as being really critical to them figuring it all out. Yeah, it's so funny because I was just talking to a friend who was going through something and I was like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Maybe it's steering you in this direction. And she was just like, well, yeah, everything happens for a reason. But what about the really bad stuff that happens to people? You can't think that really happens for a reason. And I was like, well, let me share a little story about my life. And I was telling her how a lot of times the reason is what you make of it. And if you choose to not look into the meaning or choose not to try to find it, then you're going to be stuck in victimhood. And it's going to be basically either you can sit in the rubble of your life that just shattered or start to rebuild it. And that's kind of how I've looked at my own mental health. Yeah. And you know, sometimes our life shatters because we run it into something. And then (laughs) sometimes life just runs over us. I mean, minding our own business and we just literally get run over. And I don't think it really matters which one it is. You do some things different, but you're like, okay, it's going to happen to all of us. So how do we grow from it? How do we learn from it? Sometimes we'll see a purpose for it, but that's usually way down the road. It's not while the story is being written. It's after it's written and we look back. So this episode is going to be airing right around the holiday season. And I know that depression rises, or at least the awareness of depression might rise around that time for all sorts of reasons. So I'm curious, have you seen a trend over the years of depression rising? I feel like people are blaming social media and all of the sorts, all of the changes with technology and just a faster paced lifestyle. So do you think that it's actually rising or do we just have more access to see how other people are feeling? Yeah, gosh, yes, yes, and yes. I do think in the next five to 10 years, I think we'll look back on this and see that, yeah, our mood as well as our worry and anxiety are rising a little bit, I think. And there are some trends that we can look at to go, okay, it seems like it is increasing a little. Social media is not the problem. It's what we make of it. And we humans are vulnerable to look for places to escape and not use well. One of the examples I always talk about is alcohol, and you talk about the holidays. Literally 75, 85% of the people that consume alcohol do so and without having problems. That's the vast, vast majority. And so when it comes to the holidays, I think what we start to see is relationships. It is a time of reflection for a lot of people, whether, especially if there's been loss, whether that's through death or divorce or moving and living in a whole new city and just feeling unanchored to the people and places that kind of keep us anchored and make no mistake about it, the people and places keep us anchored. And so I think 
that's one of the reasons the holidays can be difficult for people. And during those difficult times, we humans are vulnerable to go to some of the old, reliable, but not necessarily healthy things like alcohol or food. And so we tend to ask those things to do more than they can, meaning help us forget about sadness or loss. And whenever we do that, we're starting to step down a really bad path. We have to be really cautious about that because then those things start to snowball. You know, it's interesting. I noticed that oftentimes depression and anxiety are mentioned together, like they're very similar, but they have a lot of differences. Why is it that we tend to just kind of put those in a bucket? Yeah, it's funny. They tend to travel quite a bit together. Now, and I've been doing this, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. I've been at Innovation 360 now for, golly, 12, 13 years. Been practicing in the field for some time. There's no question there are a lot of people that just have mood-related issues and don't have any other problem. But of those people, Blue Cross Blue Shield actually had a really interesting study that they published, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, if you will. And it was a really interesting study that was looking at, of those people that get diagnosed with a mood disorder, they were looking at a slice in time. And they were in essence going, okay, what percent of them have another diagnosis? And it was something around 75 to 80% of the people that have a depression will have another diagnosis. Most commonly, it's an anxiety disorder, but sometimes it's a medical condition and sometimes it's substance abuse. And so you'll see depression and anxiety travel together in about 35, 40% of the people which is about one in three. And they interact in a really toxic way. And that's one of the other things that we always talk about that because it's something to really be mindful of. So that when, if you have a mood that stays down for weeks at a time, most every day, and you're also worrying and anxious, if you think about depression as really crushing and slowing the body and worry and anxiety are like a mind that's actually spinning faster. So what you end up with is a really sad, hopeless, depressed feeling that you think about 15 times an hour because your mind is just spinning. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I've felt it before, although it's been a while. Yeah, it's an awful feeling. And it's not uncommon for us to feel that way for a day or two or because something big happens or something really stressful or for a weekend. And it really is unnerving. Sometimes it'll happen on a Saturday and we're like, gosh, it's work related and Monday can't get here quick enough so we can resolve it. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. 
He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. There have been moments where I have suddenly, it's almost like my own consciousness takes this big step forward. And it's like, I'm looking at my life like I'm the overseer of it. And I remember certain times it would almost be like, I mean, I've experimented with psychedelics, but it was almost moments of my depression would feel like that experience on psychedelics where you're like the observer and nothing's really real. And then I would feel like I was stuck in a pothole, like of the same thoughts looped around. And this other version of me would be like, step out of it. How do you get out of it? Is this all there is? It's just these looping thoughts. And it would go back and forth between these two versions of consciousness. And those were the scariest moments I experienced. Yeah, golly. It's a painfully good description of what that's like. Yeah, this stuck in a pothole or in a rut, and you're like, okay, I cannot get out of this loop. How do I break this loop? And almost always, and I always I talk to people about the single most important thing is staying connected to other people. When we don't, and if we isolate and get stuck in one of those loops, they're horrible. And we'll do anything to get away from it, whether it's even things that we know aren't good for us like food or sex or gambling or alcohol or drugs or a bad relationship. It's uncanny what we'll do to escape that feeling because it is so, you you get this, it's so mentally and physically painful. So how do you tell if you're actually in a state of depression or if you're just going through a slump? Yeah, and I tell people, It's like the difference between, we're almost at the cold and flu season. It's like the difference between having the flu and having pneumonia. And if any of your listeners have had pneumonia, they're like, oh my gosh, I get it. Done. Now, everybody thinks they get pneumonia when the flu, you're like, no, you just had the flu. 
pneumonia is a completely different animal. It is physically crushing. And so we should have emotions that kind of go up and down like waves on an ocean. We're not meant to have this smooth surface like a lake at sunrise. Our emotions are more like the ocean and that these waves that rise and fall. And there are things that lift our mood and then there are things that pull our mood down. And sometimes for some people, it's the time of year. It's seasonal. Um, I work with the lady that, man, when the sun starts going away, her mood really gets pulled and she has to be really mindful of staying engaged in things that are good for her mood because she really is one of those sun outdoor. And when it's gloomy and snowy or freezing, it pulls her mood. And sometimes it's the seasons of the year. And so you go, okay, there's a difference between being down for a day or two or a weekend or even a week. Sometimes we don't know why. A lot of times we do. But depression lingers beyond a day or two or a weekend or a week. It tends to be most people that have a major depressive episode tend to talk about it lasting for at least two weeks. But it's almost always weeks. And what you see is you see a level of mood that is negatively affecting our ability to function in life. I mean, it's more than just being down and buck up or you're in a bad mood or you don't have a lot of energy because you haven't slept. It's at a completely different level. The things that we used to enjoy aren't enjoyable. Our sleep, one of the more common things is that our sleep starts to get disrupted. And when sleep starts to get disrupted, it pulls a lot of other things down. We'll withdraw from other people, may even have feelings that are not grounded in reality, but feelings of worthless or inappropriate guilt or shame. And for some people, this odd, intrusive thought of, I wouldn't care if I went to bed and didn't wake up. Yeah, you know, I have noticed that most of the things you want to do when you're in a depressive state actually add to your depression instead of making it better. And it's funny because I've realized how much my external circumstances can affect my moods. Like I definitely get affected by seasonal affective depressive disorder, not as intensely as some people, but I can feel it immediately to the point that there have been times my husband's been like, I'll be like, I don't know why I feel so sad and so down. He's like, well, babe, the season's changed. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) because people around me know it. Or like wanting to sit in and do a full day Netflix binge. I have never been able to successfully be happy after 24 hours of Netflix. I normally feel terrible. Like my whole body feels depressed. It's insane. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, I always tell people I love Netflix. I love all the streaming services. But man, after one or two episodes, get up go move, get outside, do something different, and then come back. Because if you just sit there, you never feel better. And what it is, is it's physical inactivity. And when you study like people, whether it's cardiovascular or cancer patients, about one out of three will go through a depressive episode. And I always talk with people that are in those, have had a physical diagnosis. I'm like, look, one of the side effects of cancer and cancer treatment is you might have a depressed mood. It happens enough that we need to start talking about it like we would any other. Hey, look, one of the side effects of treatment for cancer is your hair might fall out and 
you might end up with a depressed mood. Here are the things to be mindful of, and here are the things that help it. One of the number one things that when you tease out what is that depressed mood about with people with a physical illness, it's about physical inactivity. And you kind of alluded to it earlier. You're like, okay, I know I need to move, but I have no energy. And that's one of the symptoms of when we are having a depression is that we have this loss of energy and the joy in things is gone. You're like, okay, now you just made that hill even more difficult. You know what I mean? Definitely. So are there stages to depression? I think what I tend to gravitate to is there is sort of that mild, moderate, and severe. And what we really want to be mindful of is if we've been vulnerable to it in the past, we may be vulnerable to it again. When we know it's maybe a season, like whether it's the holidays. And again, it's you. It's like, I know people that get so excited about winter coming. You're like, wow, it's like you had a vitamin B shot. And other people that you can just see them almost like a plant goes dormant. It's almost like their mood goes dormant when it gets colder. And what really matters is that, and I can hear you've really turned a thoughtful eye towards your own psychological health and going, okay, when do I do well? And when do I'm like, okay, this is a time where I struggle a little bit more. So I need to make sure I stay engaged and plugged in with people that matter to me. I have got to keep an eye and manage and monitor my sleep. I say the same three things over and over, especially about the holidays. You know, sleep is power, food is fuel, and movement's medicine. If we just look at those three things in the holidays and we go, okay, I'm disrupting my sleep. Why? What am I thinking about? What am I having trouble getting rid of? And if I'm starting to be more inactive, those two things may be an indication that my mood's down. And if that's the case, it may be pulling my food and go, okay, I don't know what I need to do, but I know I need to not sit here on this couch anymore. And whether it's I get up and just walk to the mailbox or I text a friend or call. A fr- I mean, doing those things we don't feel like doing, if you will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I recommend my listeners have like lists of things that their higher self loves to do, because I yes. found when I was in a lower self state of mind, it's so hard to think of those things at all, let alone want to do them. And so if you can take this like letter to you from your higher self of just different activities that light you up, then all you have to do is grab one. And it might sound like it's a terrible idea at that moment, but it's usually through that movement and through kind of stimulating those things that sparked joy before that you can start to find your way back to yourself again. But it's so difficult because I think we have a tendency to really identify with our mind and our thoughts. And it makes sense because it's the loudest voice in our head. It sounds like us, but when it gets caught in negative patterns, it's just that. It's like chemical reactions in negative patterns looping together. And it doesn't have to be you. You are in there in some brighter light. You just need to find yourself. Yes. I'm telling you, it's if you do nothing else, but you start to turn this curious posture towards your psychological health, it is the single biggest thing you can do for your physical health, for your mental health, for your satisfaction in life, and just start to be curious about 
what environments do I do well in? What, when do I tend to struggle? And maybe, you know what, my mood never struggles, but maybe my mind sometimes gets spinning into a rut that really is, it just pulls me down in a hurry. And when we're down, that is not the time to be thinking, God, what is it I love to do? <laughs> no, you need your go-to, right? I talk about whether it's like, I love music, love music. And here lately, I've gotten hung up in a good way on Bruce Springsteen's, he's got a documentary coming out called Western Stars. And he talks about his struggles with depression really, really well, which is not surprising. He's such an artist. He just paints with words. And so I know music is something that lifts my spirits and kind of gets me moving. Music is a wild thing for a lot of us. And you go, okay, look, you have a playlist for working out and it is not slow jazz. And so you're like, okay, well, what's that music you listen to that gets you moving in a good way? You should have that playlist before you start to get down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm wondering how long is medication useful versus becoming a dependency? And I will say I've gone through a whole arc of feelings on medications in general because I used to be yeah. prescribed a bunch of them. And now I live the holistic lifestyle. I do holistic things as much as I can. I Everything's non-toxic in my home. And so it's easy for me to now say, oh, no medications ever. But I realize I personally am in a place that I don't feel that I need them right now. But there were yeah. parts of the time that I don't know if I would have gotten out of bed without them. So what is the right balance of that? What is the right balance of mindset and medication? Yeah, even though I've been in this field for a long time, it's one of those things that I've wrestled with. And honestly, I'm at a place now where I've worked with enough people and I've seen how horrendous a depression can be that if it's moderate or severe, so here's a couple of my caveats. One, if it's moderate or severe and you've tried these other things like moving, correcting sleep, staying engaged and plugged into people and not isolating, and you're doing those things and your mood still doesn't lift, there is absolutely a biological piece to our depression. For some people, it's greater than for others. And find a good psychiatrist, not an OB-GYN, not a PCP. Now, sometimes I get it. That's all you can have. But there's a reason that your PCP doesn't deliver your baby. I mean, there just is. And if you get diagnosed with cardiovascular disease or cancer, you're not going to have your OB-GYN treat it. I mean, maybe if that's their specialty, but go to somebody that specializes and all they do is think about this sort of thing. They don't over-medicate, they don't under-medicate. But to answer your question, if it's moderate or severe, let's try to lift the physical piece so that we can do the psychological piece to settle into a place where maybe I have 
made some changes over months and years that I can step away from medications, not opposed to them, because I hate severe depression more than I hate medicine. And so if we can put those things into our life, there's a chance we may not need medication. But you know what? Melissa, it's no different than high blood pressure. There are some people that can eat right and exercise and they don't need to take medicine. I always talk about my wife, mainly because she doesn't know I'm doing it. But <laughs> so we're both in our 50s. And about 15, 20 years ago, I had a little bit of elevated cholesterol. And I'm like, it! I, I mean, I'm quasi fit. And so I increased my cardiovascular a little. I started eating a little cleaner and boom, it dropped below. And so I didn't need to take any medications. My wife did all of the same things, but for whatever reason, her levels didn't drop and she had to start taking medicine, which she's like held against me like it was my fault. I'm like, look, <laughs> woman, we've done the same thing. It's just that for whatever reasons you've done all those things, the downside of high cholesterol is far worse than the downside of some medications for some people. And I think about the same thing for depression. I try to look at our psychological struggles in the same way that I'd look at our physical struggles. And that's a personal professional preference. I'm a big fan of Western medicine, big fan of Eastern medicine. I'm not a big fan of cancer growing or high blood pressure, or cardiovascular disease. Let's do, and this is where, and you alluded to it. I'm like, okay, let me eliminate the user error, which is the food I'm eating, the way my routines in life. Have I corrected those things? And if I have, okay, then I think that's the right order to evaluate. Should I look at medication? Yeah, I think often the problem can be that we aren't willing to meet the medication halfway. And so... <laughs> We're like, fix me. And we're still so laying true. there wondering why we're not being fixed. It's so true. We do that for our blood pressure, for cholesterol. We're like, hey, I'm taking my medicine. How come then? And I know your doctor didn't tell you, just take the medicine and you can keep eating like that and not moving. There's no way they told you that. She didn't tell you that. And Plus, so, yeah, we do. We need to meet it halfway. I love that. Plus, yes. the goal is to hopefully use it as a crutch, like the way a crutch works when you have yes. crutches is it's temporary and you wean yourself off. And again, there might be a biological factor that people have. I don't personally know those people, but I've heard of them. And so I can't dismiss that. I am not yeah. <laughs> qualified to do that. But for the most part, even so, this is a life you live. And so if you're not meeting it halfway, then yeah. even if the medication boosts your mood a little bit, then what are you doing with your life at that point? And for me, yeah. I realized that I've always been pretty physically active. I've watched what I ate. And there was still a key that was missing for me later on where I wasn't super depressed, but I wasn't as happy as I could be. I still had my moments. I still felt a little lost and out of control. And the last key for me was really starting to find something in my life that gave me meaning or purpose. And it didn't have to be this grandiose podcast, but like a job that I liked, fostering a dog, anything that gave yeah. me a little bit of meaning in the day to day. Have you found that that is a significant step for people? 
it's funny. We find what we look for. And so I'm a little bit biased in the same direction as you. I do think it's important that we find something that gives us meaning and purpose and passion that's beyond our own little lives. I think that's incredibly important. And if you're going to be critical of the field of counseling, I think that's one of the places we can be critical is that we spend so much time looking inward that we don't look externally and we're so relational. And I think finding those things, like you said, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's adopting animals. I don't care if it's taking care of animals or land or your work that you love doing. We do better when we're plugged into those things and when those things are a part of our lives. Now, they're not always going to be at the same level. Again, I do. I think we rise and fall during these times in our life, and and we sometimes set ourselves up for the expectation that that wave is always going to be at the peak. It's never going to have a trough to it. And not that I look for troughs. I just know that waves tend to come and go. And I think the more that we're anchored to meaningful things and meaningful relationships, the better we tend to do over our life course. Yeah, I think part of that purpose piece is that a lot of times when we're following that, it gives us connection to something, whether that's a human, an animal, whatever it is. It's like a connection outside of just that inward journey, and it plugs us into something else. And I'm a huge fan of going inward, but you're right. If that's where we stay and we're always digging into our past, then how are we really moving forward? I like to get clues from those things to learn more about myself and my triggers and my behaviors and my patterns and all of those things so that I can move forward on a path that's going to actually make me happy and bring me joy and find me love and all of those things. And so the goal is still a forward-facing one if you want to move forward in your life. Yeah, I love the forward-facing one. One of the most fascinating studies that our field has ever done, Harvard did it, It's the longest study on our mental health and happiness and joy in life. And they've been doing it really since the 30s almost. And one of the things that has clearly risen to the top of health and happiness in life are meaningful, loving relationships. Like meaningful, loving relationships when you're 50 is more predictive of your overall health than any other medical measure like cholesterol or hypertension or anything. And it is, it's being connected. We are connected beings. Now that doesn't mean, whenever I talk about that, people, especially the introverts, I'm an introvert. I'm like, listen, I'm by and large bent in the introvert direction. It's not that you need dozens. What you need are a couple of meaningful, loving, reciprocal relationships or an activity that keeps you anchored in a community. Hugely important. And it helps us fight the most savage of all symptoms of a depressed mood, which is isolation. For me, there's that breaking point of when are you going to start seeking something else to be connected to because you're not looking for it in the right places? And that was when I turned to an eating disorder. That's when I was finding 
I'm doing air quotes around connection with all these party friends and we're just doing drugs. (laughs) One of the hardest parts, other than the whole experience, was when I was climbing out of that, feeling like I had no friends because I basically made a bad investment in the people that were there for the party and not there for the people. (laughs) And so it's like there's time to shed those things. And I'm still friends with some of them, but they were the ones who were also like, okay, I need to get out of this. I need to grow. I need to stop relying on all this stuff that's going to keep me in one spot and never going to cause me to seek growth. Yeah. And you know, it's when we do get lost in those things because there's shadows of real connection and that's the way it is with substances or eating disorders or gambling or just shallow, short sexual relationships. They're shadowy substances of the real meaningful things in life. And we think we're connected, but it's only when we step back from it and go, you know what? I was engaging in and doing those things in really unhealthy ways that we start to realize, wow, I didn't really have meaningful connection to a community or people. We just happened to do the same things, whether they're good or bad. We just happened to do the same things. Something that I thought of while you were talking about the introvert thing, because I've definitely been realizing how much of an introvert I am. I'm kind of an ambivert, but I'm definitely an empath, all these different words that I'm learning about myself. But it was hard for me to figure that out because I was hopped up on crap tons of Adderall for so many years that I did not realize I was an introvert until a few years ago. And so it's just interesting, though, that one of the things that's most helpful for me when I still need to be connected, and if I'm not connected with people, if I don't have one-on-one time, I find myself falling into lower moods. But if I start my day right and then just take some time to myself throughout the day, maybe it's a walk or whatever, I tend to kind of boost myself back up again. It's like a little mental recharge. How do you recommend starting the day to start it on your best foot? Yeah, it's funny. The Adderall, whether it's Adderall or work or working out, it's amazing the things that will just hurl us headlong into life. And we think, oh, I'm an anxious person or I'm really extra. And then we eliminate those things and you go, no, I'm not anxious. And (laughs) no, I'm not extroverted. It was just, I was being pulled or pushed through life. And so to answer your question of starting the day well, my mind stays really busy. I've worked hard to navigate to a better relationship with my psychological health because I can have a really busy mind. And there's times that I just have to go, wow, that's wonderful. I love it. And other times I'm like, man, I can't stand this guy. I wish I could get further away from him. What I've really started doing is being far more aware of what are my first thoughts? I mean, when my alarm goes off or when I wake up before it goes off, that my thoughts and our thoughts matter. There's a Stan Beecham who has got a wonderful book, Elite Minds. He talks about he has these, and to hear him talk about these gratitudes of he's thankful for his physical health because he knows at some point he might not have it. He's thankful for his mental health because, again, like all things, it may fade or something may take it away. And this morning, I woke up and there were a lot of people that didn't wake up this morning and that. I really, in this sincere, most thankful way, I've got some of those faculties right now that may change. They come and go. And actually, 
at this point, I've got two out of three. I'm, I'm nursing a bad knee. And so living with chronic pain is a fascinating experience. But you know what? I've got two out of three, and that's really not too bad, especially the first one that I got to wake up this morning. I'm a bit of a competitive person. And so I've gotten to a point now starting my day. I'm like, no, these feet are not hitting the ground until I start to hear some fair things or balance things because anxiety and worry and stress and depression do not want fair statements in our head. And so I just do a much better job of being more vigilant about what's my first thought, because that's how I want to start my day. And I've learned over the years that I'm better when I move. So some kind of physical activity, whether it's yoga or cycling or swimming or walking or sitting outside and having coffee and starting the day a little bit more quiet and reflective, I know I have better days when I start like that. So Yeah, I've been recently realizing how amazing it feels to start the day with sunlight and lemon water instead of coffee. And mm. part of what that does is like, I still love my coffee. Normally I make matcha lattes, but there's something a little bit more empowering because it's like you're outside, you're connected to nature. I feel like you recharge yourself. Your body needs sunlight and water and all of these things instead of coffee technically is this dependency. Like I need this caffeine or I need this thing to start my day like myself. Actually, that's yeah. the opposite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. I think and I like the way you talk about it. I tend to get really competitive with myself or play games with the voice in my head about, okay, no caffeine for a week, no coffee, no. And I'm like, okay, it's on. So, okay, I don't need coffee to work out. My gosh, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. And so here about a month ago, I just did that. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go caffeine free for seven to 10 days. And it's, yes, the first 24 to 48 hours are difficult, but come on, really? You're not willing to challenge yourself in the little ways? Then heaven help you when life runs you over. I'm like, no, I'm going to build some psychological muscles today doing things that are fun. And whether it's was it last year, the year before? I'm like, all right, dadgummit. And I know you do a lot of yoga and I so love it. I just love any kind of physical activity. So I was like, all right, I think it was 2017. I'm like, I'm going to be a yogi this year. I don't even know what a yogi is, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing yoga. I so love watching my brain because I found a great class and went with a buddy of mine. We go three times a week. I absolutely loved it. But it was fascinating to watch what my brain did Every time I stepped into a one-hour yoga class, I was wildly entertained by it. And so I think stretching ourselves in play and fun ways, whether it's I'm going to knock out caffeine or, yeah, I'm going to go do yoga. I mean, you do, you like, you're really good at yoga. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say you're like a yogi. Me? No, I'm not even sure what a yogi is yet. Now, <laughs> mind you, I've done a couple of Ironman triathlons, right? That's a long, busy day. Ooh, yeah. I, I kid you not, Melissa, when I would step into yoga class for one hour, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm just going to hang in there and do these poses. I had no idea any of those warrior poses could be so hard. And I'm like, I'm not going to make an hour. 
Now, mind you, I have spent all day biking, running, and swimming. And I'm like, oh, hell, I got this. But an hour yoga, I was like, oh. And I was just fascinated by, wow, what am I doing? So I, I do. I love those kinds of challenges and things that we can do that help us see a little bit different angle of ourselves that we just got to get out of this routine. And man, I might discover some things about myself that are wildly entertaining. Yeah. And I think the words you used that really stood out to me were watching my brain react to this because that's all it is. If you had identified with those thoughts and they were saying, you need to walk out right now, man, it's really hot mm -hmm. here. These people are crazy. Then you would have just walked out. But instead you can be like, oh, silly human, <laughs> like you yes. got this and counteract yes. it. <laughs> yes, I'm not kidding. So the single best therapeutically beneficial statement I heard all that year was in yoga one morning. I don't even remember the post. I just remember thinking, well, this is the morning I'm going to die. And the yoga instructor says, all she said was, yes, you can. Now, she wasn't talking to me. She was absolutely talking to me. But it was a crowded room. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding. That was so wonderful. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. It's one of those little discoveries along the way in life that if you're looking, you'll see them. But you've got to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions where you're going to see some of those little things. Yeah, you've got to like activate the unused parts of your personality and your brain and <laughs> kind of coax yes. them out of their hiding places. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Absolutely. I'm wondering, though, so say we have a loved one and we see them struggling. I remember when I was struggling a lot of the things that people wanted to do, I could tell that they meant well, but it would almost put up my defense mechanisms. Like I would think you're not going to fix me or no, I'm not going to go take a walk in the sunlight with you. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you approach your loved one to help them without automatically putting up their armor? Yeah, I guess the first thing is, you know, I'm well. And I say this to people that I see in counseling and therapy of, look, you know you a lot better than I do, or you know your spouse. So we'll talk through some ideas, but you have to really be listening and looking and know when to press, when to step back. And sometimes it's a matter of just going, look, I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not. I'm not trying to heal your depression. I just see that you're struggling. And I just thought you might enjoy going and doing this. That's all. Nothing more than just this one event. I'm not asking for a cup of coffee to fix your depression. I just wanted to have a cup of coffee with you. And I think when we look at it in a much more just being present of, now having coffee and doing something together is good medicine. Or inviting you or swinging by to take you to go swim or to go to yoga. That's just good medicine. That's life. And life is good medicine. And so I think the hardest thing for family members and loved ones is not feeling frustrated that a few things didn't seem to take hold. And that's the difference between depression and being down. It's a long perspective.
And for some people, it's just, no, we're just going to keep after it. And it'll be a little text here, a little phone call there. But we sometimes ask it to do more than it can. Hey, we're going to go out to the lake this weekend. And that's good. No, no, no. Just invite them to the lake because you enjoy being around them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I can tell that that approach probably would have helped me more. And it's not like the people around me didn't mean well, but it's like you almost feel like you have to tiptoe. And so it felt like they were going these roundabout ways, trying to like sneak me outside, <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and that yeah. alone just annoyed me. And if you would have just oh, said, yeah. hey, I see you struggling. Let's get up and take a walk or come on, this could be good, whatever. Like, let's take some baby steps and kind of acknowledging it while also not acting like you know best. It's like this yeah. very delicate balance. So I can see why oh, it's yeah, difficult, it but that's helpful. And, yeah. And be willing to be surprised at what's beneficial to people because look, and you do this as well. You have lots of wonderful conversations and connections about psychological health. I continue to be fascinated by the things that pull us forward. They're like, wow, okay. I wouldn't have thought of that or, huh? Okay. Isn't that great? And look for those things and yeah, touch on, Hey, look, you got to stop binge watching. But again, it's sort of, I want to include you because I'm going to do these things anyway, or we, Hey, we love doing this or this movie's out. Let's just go check it out. No, hey, look, I'm going to go Saturday. Love for you to go. And then maybe I just shoot you one other text or some conference that's in town or some speaker that we love. And like, hey, it's that I'm just inviting you back into the flow of life that we used to have together. I'm not trying to push you into things that you've never done. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your zone of genius with us. For the listeners that are resonating with you and either want to connect with you or support you or work with you, where's the best place for them to connect online? I360 Dallas, that's where I'm currently, gosh, I've been here for a while now and I just absolutely love it. We're in Dallas, Texas. We're also down in Austin. So I360 Dallas, you can also track me down at Dr. Kevin Gilliland, no spaces, just Dr. Kevin Gilliland website. And then like you, social media, Instagram and Twitter and all that kind of fun stuff. Dr. Dr. Underscore Kevin G. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 114. If you are severely depressed, there are a ton of amazing hotlines that are popping up, all with their own unique flair. I found one online that I'd like to share called Remedy Live, which is at remedylive.com. It's a 24-7 chat center where you can chat with what they call their soul medics. I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but... For a couple years, I volunteered at the Suicide and Crisis Helpline. So I was the phone person when somebody called and they were thinking about suicide. What was interesting about holding that position was that most of what I wanted to say was not exactly what I would have thought was the right thing to say. There was a lot of training that went into it. But one of the biggest takeaways was that as the person on the other end of the phone, it was my job to get the person on the line to come to their own conclusions. And I'm sharing this because it goes to show you how no one else has the answers for you. If you're looking for somebody to pull you out of the depths of your pain, 
You really have to make an effort to lift yourself first, as hard as it might be. It might sound like the end of the world, but when you are able to just get a glimmer of the light that is outside of that well, it will be so, so worth it. Life doesn't have to be this way. It is true that I do not know your personal struggles, and maybe it's worse than I can even comprehend, but I do know that it is worth it to try. This is your one and only life, maybe, depending on your beliefs, but you deserve to feel love. You deserve light. You deserve to wake up excited and to find that meaning and purpose that'll make all of this worth it. And you know, most people's pain becomes their message. Make your mess your message. What if there's a reason for all this? What if you can help somebody else? I know for me, that depressive period of my life was a huge contributor to what I really feel is my life's purpose. And if I hadn't experienced that, I wouldn't be able to relate to all the people I can relate to today. I wouldn't know the pain to help people get out of it. So I wonder, what's in store for you? What's beyond this moment? The more you ask yourself those same questions, the more clues you might find. And there are tools and resources out there, and I'm doing my best to create some of those. So subscribe to the podcast, sign up for the Morning Mind Love, and start your day with a little positive inspiration. You can do that by texting MORNING to 444-999 or sign up on the mindlove.com homepage. If someone's coming to mind that you feel really needs this episode, please share it with them. You can tap the share button or just take a screenshot and send it to them through Instagram or even share it on your story and tag Mindlove Podcast and Mindlove Melissa. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mindlove. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 